Sports man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's Monday. It's the 15th day of July. Back from the beach. It was a long week down in South Carolina, Isle of Palms, not too far from Charleston. I thought about recording a podcast or two on my cell phone device, sending it through email. Decided not to do it. Decided I needed a break. Decided to take the week and try to relax. Look, posted plenty of content at profootballtalk.com, but that is something that can be done 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Fits and starts, paragraph after paragraph. It doesn't require full and complete focus like this operation does for anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes to 75 minutes to 90 minutes. Who knows how long today's will be. I'm trying to ease my way back into it, though. I originally thought, you know, haven't done it in a while. I'm going to jump right in and have a full one-hour-plus edition of the PFTPM podcast. We'll just see how, how, how long it goes. Oh, what's going on in the world? First of all, the vacation was great. It's great. Exactly what I needed. Week away from the grind, week away from the house, although I missed being at home, I missed being with my dog, I missed being with my son, he chose not to join us, he's at that age where he just kind of wants to do his own thing, can't make him do anything, so that's how it went. And also, we got a fairly decent living arrangement here, and he was able to have some friends over and they had a good time, and that's fine. So, a big crowd at the beach, though, there were... 12 to 14 of us at a house down in Isle of Palms. A lot of uh, a lot of meals eaten uh, at uh, restaurants where uh, you know a lot of fat, calories, butter, and all sorts of fried crap. So it's going to be extra work on the bike this week, extra time in the weight room trying to get back down in the target weight range. No little Debbie snack cakes for me this week, Nick Saban. Back to the grindstone, back to reality. But you know what? It feels good. It feels good. I, I'm halfway through the PFT Live hiatus, and I'm ready to start now. I miss it. I'm ready to get back to it, especially because it feels like things are starting to happen in the National Football League. And the thing that happened this afternoon that's gotten my attention and presumably the Dallas Cowboys' attention is Ezekiel Elliott telling people privately he intends to hold out a training camp unless he gets a new contract. PFT first reported that. You can you can scoff all you want, but I trust my source. Elliot privately saying that's what he's going to do. Whether he does it or not is a different thing. Always have to be very careful about what we're reporting. What we're not what we're, what we're not reporting is he's definitely holding out. What we're reporting is he is privately telling people he plans to hold out unless he gets a new contract. Period. He could change his mind. He could get cold feet when he realizes it costs $40,000 a day to hold out a training camp. He could just decide it's not worth it. He wants to play football. He wants to be there. He can't be away from his teammates. So what if the Cowboys have failed to properly take care of him? So what if there's a chance the wear and tear of playing running back may catch up with him and he may never get that big money contract he could get if he draws a line in the sand right now? So what if the Cowboys rewarded DeMarco Murray with leading the league in rushing and setting a franchise single-season record by forcing him to hit the open market and go get paid somewhere else. So what? Ultimately, Ezekiel Elliott wants to get paid to play football. And playing football means more than getting paid. If that's his decision, that's his decision. For now, though, he's telling people who he plans to hold out. Remember last year, Julio Jones planned to hold out until he didn't. Now, they reconfigured Julio Jones' deal a little bit. Not that much, but a little bit. What will the Cowboys do with Ezekiel Elliott? The one big piece of leverage he has is that Jerry Jones, as he gets deeper and deeper into his life cycle, realizes he has fewer and fewer chances 
to win another championship. It's been 24 years now since the Cowboys have even been to an NFC championship game. That is unthinkable. When the Cowboys beat the Steelers in Super Bowl 30, if you would have told anyone connected to that organization, you know what, it's going to be nearly a quarter of a century and you still wouldn't have made it back to the NFC championship game, they would have gone completely white-faced. They would have passed out. They would have had all the blood, the blood drained from their heads down to their toes. They wouldn't have believed you. Well, that's the reality. And Jerry Jones, it seems like with each passing year, is more and more desperate to get back not just to the NFC Championship game, but to the Super Bowl and win it. So that's the leverage Elliott has. Remember 1993, after the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, the first one with Jerry Jones owning the team and Jimmy Johnson as the coach? Emmett Smith held out. Through training camp preseason, first two weeks of the regular season, the Cowboys lost those first two games, and the Cowboys caved. And then they ultimately became the first team to start 0-2 and win the Super Bowl. Without Ezekiel Elliott, that offense doesn't go. Stephen Jones, Cowboys COO, told me back in May, Zeke is the straw that stirs our drink. And you know what? There's a chance that that may not be the case a year from now. That's another reason for Elliott to take a stand. It's not just wear and tear. It's not just the possibility of being chewed up and spat out by the Cowboys once his five-year contract is up. He's got two seasons left. It's the possibility that the new offense with Kellen Moore as the coordinator, with more motion, formations, creativity. It's possible Dak Prescott becomes a guy who doesn't need Ezekiel Elliott to set up the pass with that bruising running style. It could be that the offense shifts in focus from run to set up the pass to pass to set up the pass. Look at what the focal point's been this offseason. Signing Dak Prescott, signing Amari Cooper. Quarterback, receiver. Amari Cooper's talking about 2,000 receiving yards. Maybe the Cowboys begin transitioning away from a run-heavy offense this year. Maybe by next year, Elliott just isn't worth to them what he is now and what he has been the last three years. All the more reason to take a stand, to force the issue. Hey, Cowboys, if you're getting away from a run-heavy offense, then... Maybe the time has come to sell Ezekiel Elliott. Could you imagine that? I don't know who they'd trade him to, but I can't even imagine that they would do it. He's only making like $3 million this year. I think it's $3 million change this year. It's $9 million next year. Regardless, though, I think it's smart for Elliott to take a stand if he goes through with it. It's one thing to privately say you plan to do it. It's another thing to do it. We'll see if he does it. Also see what happens with this claim from his lawyers that he's the victim of an extortion attempt by the security guard in Las Vegas who got knocked to the ground, either because he was backing away from Elliot or because Elliot gave him a little bit of an elbow. It's inconclusive from the TMZ video of the altercation that happened between the two men back in May. But here's the thing, and I'm writing this now at PFT, and I'll finish it up as soon as we conclude today's podcast. It's not extortion, folks. It's not extortion for a guy who has a facially valid claim of battery, both civil and criminal, that he can make. And he has made. He's filed the criminal complaint. It's not extortion. And to say, hey, look, you have to settle my claim. I want X thousand dollars from you as compensation for this incident, or I'm going to pursue criminal charges. That's not extortion. That's negotiation. 
And the security guard has leverage over Zeke because he has the right to walk into the police station and say, this guy assaulted me. Justice comes in many shapes, forms, and sizes. And a civil settlement, to the extent that it keeps the criminal justice system from having to waste resources on something that could be resolved through the civil justice system, so be it. It's not extortion. Extortion would be telling Ezekiel Elliott, I have photographs of you in a compromising position, and I want $100,000 or else I'm going to post them online. That's extortion. Extortion is the old mob tactic of going around to businesses, saying, hey, it's a nice pizza place you got here. It'd be a shame if it burns down in the middle of the night after someone douses the entire front end of the store with gasoline and drops a lit match onto it. That would be a shame if it happens. Pay us $1,000 a week to keep that from happening. That's extortion. This is not extortion. I was traveling when all that hit, and I haven't written on it yet, and this is the first time I've really addressed it, and I support Ezekiel Elliott and his effort to get more money, to get what he's worth from the Cowboys. I don't support this. He's getting bad advice on this one. Bad legal advice, bad PR advice. It's not extortion. It's not. Friday was a strange day. Friday was the culmination of three or four weeks of me wondering when and if things were ever going to pick up again. You get so accustomed to the slow times, you start to think they're never going to end. And then all of a sudden, the slow times end. And one of the reasons the slow times ended, the multiple stories that we had about the NFL wanting 18 games in the regular season. And I've known that the NFL still wants 18 games. The NFL just hasn't talked about it because the NFL hasn't been able to reconcile 18 games with concerns for player health and safety. Now I think the NFL moving toward making the argument, and the commissioner kind of did this in an interview with CNBC. We wrote the thing on Friday. I think that was the first thing we wrote that was like the, 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 the tipping point to get all these 18-game stories that came out on Friday. But when the commissioner was asked by CNBC about the push for 18 games and how that meshes with player health and safety, he started reciting talking points that tell me the league's position is, hey, the game's a hell of a lot safer now than it used to be. We can play 18 games. I don't know that I believe that. I spoke with Mark Murphy, the Packers CEO, about a couple of different issues as it relates to his position on an expanded regular season. After resisting it multiple times, he's in favor of 17 with three or two preseason games. But he's not ready to say he's had a change of heart because the game is safer, because he recognizes it's still a grind, and he recognizes that a one-year downward trend may just be a blip. It may not be a sign of a significantly safer game. So even though he's kind of broken ranks here, the NFL's position seems to be the game is safer so we can play more. We want to play more. And the union is in a unique situation here. They've got two different important leverage points against the NFL for now. One, the league wants to get a new CBA done by the start of the regular season. That gives the NFLPA an extra little kick, an extra little boost, an extra little something where they can extract some concessions that if we don't get this deal done by the start of the regular season, that window's closed. And with the 18-game regular season, there's an opportunity there to get one hell of a deal. As I've said time and again, this is set up for the NFL to eventually make the players an offer they can't refuse. And the question is, when do they not refuse the offer? 
do you push it so far and so hard that the NFL stops short of everything you want and eventually says, screw it, we don't want 18 games? Or do you identify that sweet spot? What can we get? What's the most we can get to agree to play 18 games? What's the most? Let's go get it. If we push for a little bit more, it all falls apart. But what's the most we can get? And the union has done a very good job of convincing people that they don't want to play 18 games. I've used this example before. Somebody wants to buy my house. Shows up, knocks on the door. Hey, I'd like to buy your house for X dollars. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not interested in selling my house. I'm perfectly happy here. Comes back a week later. Offers twice that amount. Sorry. Perfectly happy leaving, living here. At some point, the number is so big, you can't say no. At some point, it's so big, you can't say no. The problem is at some point, I ask for so much that the person says, <laughs> forget it, I don't want it. That's what I always say about guys like Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban. There's a number between 10 and 20 million a year that gets them to ditch college football. The question is, is someone willing to put it on the table? What's that number? You only find out by putting it on the table. That's the challenge here. The NFL has to put enough on the table to get the players to agree to 18, and the players have to ask for not so much that the NFL says, no, we just can't make that work. We, we don't want it that badly. We want it, but we don't want it that badly. And I think the talk of 18 games with a maximum per player participation of 16, I think to me that is evidence of how badly the NFL wants it. That they'd even make that proposal. Because that is a deeply flawed idea. And I know that I've talked about it from time to time in the past, but it really takes the thing being a real idea proposed by the NFL to get folks to drill down on some of the flaws. And there are many flaws. For starters... What do you do about quarterbacks? Do you give them an exemption and they play all 18 games? And then what do you, how, how do you keep them safe? You got a great left tackle who's protecting the blind side of the quarterback. He can't play for two games, not because he's injured. If he's injured, it's a different vibe. Hey, this is football. Guys get injured. But he's healthy. He can play. Well, why isn't he playing? Well, because he's only playing 16 games. I, I don't think that flies. The fan issue, been waiting for years to see Odo Beckham Jr. play. Oh, this is one of the games he's not playing. Oh. Anyone want to buy my tickets? But the fact that the NFL would even throw that out there tells me how badly they want 18 games. That's the takeaway. They want 18 games badly. And if they are willing to dig deep and make a significant offer, and if the NFLPA is willing to not push for something more than what the NFL will do, that's how it happens. I'd personally prefer 17. I like Mark Murphy's idea for a variety of reasons. And I've talked about 17 before. 17 gives the NFL an inventory of 16 games that can be played anywhere. Everybody gets eight home games. Everybody gets eight true road games. Because really, when you're the road team at a neutral site game, what are you really? When the Panthers face the Buccaneers as the road team in England... Is that anything like going to play the Buccaneers in Tampa? No. It's not a real road game. It creates a double competitive imbalance. It creates a competitive disadvantage for the Buccaneers because they lose a true home game. And it creates an advantage for the Panthers because one of their road games really isn't a road game. 
It's a neutral site game. So with 17, you get eight at home, eight that are truly hostile territory road games, and then one neutral site game. There could be half of those games played in London. You could play one or two in Mexico. Now there was a report a few weeks ago, the funding may not be there from the Mexican federal government to continue that practice of playing NFL games in Mexico beyond 2020, I think the, the date is, but eight in London, a couple in Mexico. I know they've been wanting to play games in China. Brazil has come up. You got 16 games to play with. And until you can identify 16 different regular season games to be played in other countries, you can have some fun. You can have the Bears and the Lions get together at Ann Arbor. Or you could have the Lions and the Bears get together. Well, they're already going to play twice per year, so never mind that. It would be the, how about the Lions and the Chiefs get together at Ann Arbor? How about the Bears and the Steelers play at South Bend? How about the Steelers and the Eagles play at Happy Valley? You can do a lot with that one extra game. And we've made the argument, and I've had fans suggest this same idea. Every year there's a traditional rival that you play. Now, the problem is the schedule rotation at least every four years is going to address that. Steelers-Eagles play every four years no matter what. So in that year when they otherwise play, due to the fact that all NFC East teams will play all AFC North teams, where's that 17th game come from for the Steelers and the Eagles? It's just a wild card game. So that's got a lot of potential. And I also like the fact that 17 games means, barring a tie, no one will be 500. You're going to be 9-8 and eight, or you're going to be 8-9. and nine. Yeah, you could maybe be 8-8-1, eight, eight and one, but you're going to mo- be more likely to have a losing record or a winning record. And I like that. I li- and I just, I think it's the ultimate barometer. It's pass-fail. You're either a winner or you're a loser. If you're nine and eight, you're a winner. If you're eight and nine, you're a loser. Period. So I, I've been fascinated by 17 for a long time, and also 17 plus a second buy. Now the problem with the second buy is the NFL did it in 1993. There were only 28 teams at the time. The networks aren't thrilled about the idea of two bye weeks. But with 32 teams, you throw in a second buy. You have 17 games each. That gets 19 weeks out of the season, which is the same as having 18 games in one bye. And as we push everything back on the schedule, if you can kick the Super Bowl back two weeks, you take the Super Bowl to President's Day weekend, which is something the NFL has wanted to do for the last decade. Remember when NASCAR moved Daytona away from President's Day weekend because it feared that the NFL was going to push the Super Bowl to President's Day weekend? That was eight, nine years ago. I don't know where and when they do. I know where they do Daytona. They do it in, drumroll please, Daytona. I don't know when they do it now, though. Did they do it President's Day weekend? Have they moved it back? They had absconded. They had they had fled from President's Day weekend when it looked like the NFL was inevitably going there. 17 games and a second bye gets you there. So we'll see how that all plays out. Again, it all comes down to 
the NFL making an offer that the players can't refuse and the players recognizing the limit of what the NFL will offer with the goal of putting an offer on the table that the players can't refuse. Franchise tag, deadline day, kind of a boring July 15. The last couple of years, it's been the 16th or the 17th because if the 15th lands on a weekend, it carries over to the following Monday. Only three guys, two of them did deals. Robbie Gould with the 49ers, which was a surprise because we thought that relationship was permanently fractured. It's amazing what money will do to bring two estranged sides together. And then Grady Jarrett with the Falcons, he got his deal done. Jadavian Clowney was never getting a deal. I see the role of source. Jadavian Clowney not getting a deal today. Well, he's not getting a deal. The Texans have made the strategic decision not to sign him. Bill O'Brien didn't want to sign him. Brian Gain, the former GM, wanted to sign him to the long-term deal. And I'm told there were efforts to try to trade him. Either they wanted too much, the Texans wanted too much, or... Clowney wanted too much, but you know, this continues to be an example of the downside of the rookie wage scale. They put the rookie wage scale in place to prevent guys who become busts from sucking millions out of the system that they never earn. That's fine, but there's no automatic mechanism to pay the guys that earn it. Jadavian Clowney lived up to being the first overall pick in the draft. He should get his, his pay some way, somehow. But the Texans have squatted on him now for five years and counting. It'll be six years by the time it's all said and done. Next year, they have to ask themselves, do we give him a 20% raise and tag him again, or do we let him hit the open market? If they do, they get six years out of him, and they will have never paid him the kind of money that the first overall pick in the draft used to get before the system changed, not to protect the system against Jadavian Clowney, but to protect the system against a guy who just doesn't earn his money. So I don't like that, and I think it's one of the things that needs to be addressed in the next CBA. Who knows whether or not that will ultimately happen. All right, let's answer some of your questions. First, got to find the... Well, you know what? Before I do that, I'm, I've been out of practice for a while. I'm forgetting the flow. Before I answer your questions, I need to remind you that summer's heat can be draining on your vehicle's battery. Rising temperatures can cause battery fluids to evaporate, so stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts now and have your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts will help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low, low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better prices, better parts, or better parts, better prices every single day. I saw an O'Reilly Auto Parts in South Carolina, somewhere between Charleston and Isle of Palms. I saw it today. It's O'Reilly Auto Parts. Because there isn't one around here where I live. I don't know why. There should be. Maybe maybe there's a franchise opportunity with O'Reilly Auto Parts. I can open one up. There are other auto parts stores that will not be mentioned, but not in O'Reilly. We appreciate the ongoing support of the good folks at O'Reilly Auto Parts of the PFTPM podcast. All right, time to answer your questions. Now I have to find the, the tweet. Where's the tweet? I used the gif of a kid at the beach getting wiped out. That's chair. Yeah, you, know, you sit in those chairs. And the thing about sitting in those chairs, there's nothing relaxing about sitting in those chairs because you have to constantly monitor the tide because the tide's always changing. So you're sitting in that chair and the water's coming in. It's like, this is great. And then you realize after 10 minutes, oh, I got to move deeper into the water. Or you got to move back because the water's about to take you out like it took the kid out in this gift. So I don't want to think about that stuff. I, I, it's too much effort. Relaxation means doing nothing. 
thinking about nothing, worrying about nothing. When you got that chair at the water, you got to worry about either not getting enough water or getting too. I know this is very important, important point. All right. Let's see what we have now. First question was from PFTPM Posse. It relates to the Grady Jarrett situation. Deal got done, so that doesn't matter. Next. PFTPM Posse says, since it appears you forgot to hit send on the invitation for the PFTPM Posse. Yes, I did. I, I forgot. I forgot to hit send. Uh, that's exactly what happened. What were your three best and three worst moments of your vacation? And I don't mean worst like super bad, more like I burnt the sticks one night on the shitty grill at the rental house type of thing. Here, here's the thing. We went down there with the intention one night of using the grill. And, and this is the one general piece of advice I'll give you. If you are going to rent a beach, beach house, no matter how nice it is, no matter how much you spend, the grill is still going to be a piece of shit. It's like, they, they, you know, they, you have to be out of there by 10 a.m., on Saturday and they send in like a SWAT team to clean the place and sterilize the place and everything, you know, new sheets and towels and everything scrubbed down and any, any sand that made its way into the house is gone. It's like a brand new house that you walk into at 4 PM. It's amazing, but they never bother to lift up the grill and look at the disgusting gunk that is built up there. It's not that hard to clean a grill. If you take 10 minutes or less at the end of each week that that grill is used and clean it, it'll be fine. It could be used. As soon as we got there, I walked out to the girl, I opened it up, and I said, I know the boy, I know exactly what is hiding under, and I opened it up, it was a disgusting mess. Like, well, we're not going to grill here. Oh, you can put down aluminum foil. I don't want to put down aluminum foil. If I'm going to do that, I'll just cook it in a pan. I want grill marks, baby. So, yeah, we, we weren't, we, we, we did know, we did know uh, grilling. Three best and three worst moments. Well, there's never a bad moment when you're on vacation, other than the, 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 the grill was not good um it rained a couple of days so you know it was windy one day it's we took some cigars down to the beach and it's weird smoking a cigar at the beach because first of all i think it's frowned upon like even though like the wind is blowing the smoke everywhere so it's like no one can say they're you know having their lungs contaminated by nicotine but you, you, like it's bright and it's sunny and you really can't tell that it's lit and you, it, it's, it's hard to, it's just hard to smoke it. I did that one day. I smoked too. I, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a one week cigar moratorium. I smoke too many cigars at the beach. I try to hold it to two a week. I got to get back to that two a week. I'm going to go none until Friday. Ideally. We'll see. We'll see if I get past day three, none Saturday, none Sunday, maybe none tonight. We'll see. We had a good time. We had a good time. And it's, you know, it was one of those things where we've gone in the past and when the, when the week ended, I was like really upset. Like, I, I really don't want to go home. This was perfect because Saturday came and I was ready to come home. Like, it's good. You're there. You enjoy it while you're there. And then when it's time to come home, it's like, like oh, no, 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 I'm ready to go home. It's a long drive, 556 miles. But, you know, it's weird. When you're in that that mode of driving, like while you're doing it, it's this miserable, boring drudgery. But then when it's over, it's like it never happened. Like two days ago, I spent the entire day driving. But it's like, it never, it's like okay, I did, and it sucked, and it's over, and that's that. Like you, you, you have no memory 
of how bad it was, which is why you end up doing it again at some point. And we've gone farther away than we were. 556 wasn't bad. It, it, traffic on the way back, it, it, around 77 through Virginia, it's weird. Like, it just slows down for no reason. And it's bumper to bumper for six miles. And then all of a sudden, it's fine. It just makes no sense. All right, what else? Anything else to complain about about the beach? No. It was good. It was just, it was, it was just, it worked out well. Just enough. PFTPM Posse, how does, if at all, Bill O'Brien not wanting to sign Jadavian Clowney to a long-term deal affect their relationship in the locker room in general? If I was an up-and-coming player on the Texans, I'm not sure I would want to play for O'Brien. I, I don't know that I would go that far because Clowney has gotten paid. He got paid as the first overall pick in the draft. Now, the first overall pick doesn't get paid like he used to get paid, but it's not like he's an undrafted free agent who has done everything right, checked all the boxes, become a model example of what you need to do. Who was the the, the corner? Um, oh, jeez. Let's see. Plays for the Jaguars now. He was undrafted, and ultimately the Texans chose not to pay him. That, that I think, is more problematic I'm going to feel really stupid when I see his name. A.J. Bouye. Uh, I, I, I don't feel as stupid as I thought I would. But when A.J. Bouye left, he was an undrafted guy who did everything that was expected of him, and the Texans should have taken care of him, and they didn't. He got paid somewhere else. It's different with someone like Clowney. Clowney's going to get big money this year to be the franchise tag player. And then if they don't tag him next year, he'll go get big money somewhere else. But it, I think it's a bigger problem when it's a guy who's been grinding and grinding and grinding, and you don't want to reward him. Clowney has still gotten good money in the eyes of most of the guys in the locker room who would love to be getting paid what Clowney has gotten paid. All right, let's see what else we have. PFTP and Posse, how do you feel about Ryan Leaf getting another second chance? Is it comparable to guys in the NFL whose second chance robs somebody else of their first chance? Yeah, I, I, I think it's different. It's very different when it comes to broadcasting. Look at the army of college football and NFL analysts that ESPN has. It's not a zero-sum game. For a football team, you got 53 guys on the roster, you got 11 guys on the field. You give somebody a second chance who is immensely talented, and that talent buys the second chance, you're taking away the first chance of someone else who would have a chance to play football and develop and become a star player and, and, and hasn't done and won't be doing any of the things that justify a second chance. With broadcasting, it's so much more subjective. There isn't that huge talent gap, right? And I think for Ryan Leaf, his experiences make him more attractive to ESPN from the standpoint of he's got a story to tell, he's got a perspective to bring. And and it's almost like you wouldn't be interested in Ryan Leaf if he hasn't had the journey that he's had. So I think it's a very different situation altogether. And it's great to see that Ryan Leaf has gotten his life together, and it's great to see that he has turned it into a positive. And I think ESPN sees value in having a guy like that around. Now, ultimately, he's got to be able to do the job. If he can't do the job, they'll find someone else. That's the thing. There is an endless supply of former players looking for jobs, talking about football on TV, whether it's college or pro. And you either get it done and you make yourself indispensable or they find somebody else because every year there's a new crop of players retiring and looking to get a far easier paycheck than working for a living. Leapers 500, have you ever had... Okay, here's an off-topic alert. Off-topic alert. This could get political. And and usually I would push this to the very end, but I'm going to go ahead and do it now. 
Have you ever had said to you, go back to where you came from? I've had it said to me, and as a born citizen, it broke my heart. What is going on in our country that we're, what is going on in our country that we're hearing talk like this? It's dispiriting from a person who takes America at its word. And look, I, I, I've never had that said to me because, yeah, I, I'm, my grandparents came from Italy in the early part of the 20th century. I've got my grandfather's naturalization paper from 1915, the original document framed down in the barn. And the thing about being Italian, like I, there, there is nothing obviously ethnic about me that, you know, that, that any, you, you, you know, other than my name, right? Like it, it's, there's an ethnicity, but it's not the same as you know, the 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 Anglo-Saxon Protestants, the white person who would see someone different. Like I don't, you know, most Italians don't look different and create that inherent fear that the white person traditionally has of someone who's quote unquote different. Now I'll tell you this: when Italian immigration started, the area that I live in, and I may have said this before, deeds in the county where I live, if you trace them back. 100 years. There's a restrictive covenant saying you can't sell to Italians. Italians were looked down upon. And it, 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 to me, it's like, it's never, I've never been offended by that because it's foreign to me. Like, I've never experienced that. I've never felt that. I've never, I've never dealt with that. So, obviously, I, I, I've never had anyone say, go back to where you came from. And I've never had any inclination to, you know, put myself in a situation where that would happen. And, and, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just, it's never, the dominoes have never lined up in a way where that would ever be an issue. And I, I, and, and I can't imagine how it would feel to have that, that sense from others in the country where you live that has the Statue of Liberty with the, give us your poor, your tired, your huddled masses. And I'm butchering the quote, but you all get the gist of it to feel like you're not wanted in the country where you were born and raised, to feel like you're not wanted in the country that you're choosing to serve by taking on a public life where, number one, you don't get paid nearly as much as you could get paid elsewhere. Number two, everything you do is out in the open. Number three, you have to endure tremendous public scrutiny and criticism and scorn. And look, I, I don't... I don't know how far I want to take this, but I'd like to think that at a time when we can't as a people agree on anything, that that all people of goodwill understand that what was tweeted yesterday by the commander-in-chief is inherently racist. He can say it's not. He can say many people believe with me, or many people agree with me, excuse me. He can say whatever he wants. But I think that what he said, and in light of the context, it's clearly a racist comment. I don't think it's even debatable. But but see, th this is what happens when... <sighs> stick to football. This is what happens, because I, I, I can hear the people out there who blindly agree with everything this president does, and will 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 work overtime to take, and it's got to be, is it exhausting? Can I ask you, if you're a supporter of the current president, 
is it exhausting to have to constantly come up with spin to come up with excuses or, or is it just automatic have you been doing it for so long now that it's it's like breathing like whatever situation whatever he does it's just a knee-jerk reaction you can immediately slide into saying whatever you have to say to justify whatever the latest comment statement or conduct is i i don't know look i i i just there's no good way out of this for me at this point I mean, I, I believe, and, and, and I don't know how, how are we even having a debate that the comment is or isn't racist? Of course it's racist. And I saw a five-minute clip today of comments that were made at a public event trying to defend the statements and the hyperbole and the factual inaccuracies, the mischaracterizations of the things that, that the individuals have said. Uh, it, 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 God... I, I, I don't, I look, I've tried to get away from it because it just wears me out. Does it not wear you out? Is it not exhausting? It's got to be exhausting for the people who defend this kind of behavior. It's got to be. Because I know it's exhausting to be constantly on the lookout for what the next outrage is going to be and where the bottom really is and how low we can go as a society. And whether or not we want leaders who speak to the best of us or leaders who know how to tap into the worst. Because right now it's the latter. And you can get mad at me if you don't like that. You can say you're never going to listen to the podcast again. You can say you're never coming to PFT again. Look, I, that, that is my belief. I'm, I just, I don't, how, how have we gotten to the point where such things that are so obvious are the subject of what some people think is a fair debate? It's, there, there have to be some accepted truths and some accepted standards, and some lines that can't be crossed. How, how, how are there not lines that can't be crossed? Remember what was said four years ago? That, that, that I, could, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and my supporters would still follow me? It's, tr it's true. I, I hope that, that extreme is never tested. But, and I think where where we underestimated, or should I say overestimated, the politicians. They are so infatuated by power. They are so drawn to power and so afraid of alienating the person who holds the power that, that they are as knee-jerk as the average supporter. Who At least the average supporter... I, it's almost like you're rooting for a football team, right? Once you would adopt a candidate, like it, it becomes, it's, you know, they, you, you align with a certain candidate and you have a pride in your position and you're not thinking of it in a more analytic type of a way. I think the, the people who are in elected office that see this, and maybe they just fear alienating the people who are going to root for the current president, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, regardless. I've said enough on the topic. It's time to get back to football. But I can't imagine having that message being directed at me, go back to where you came from. Because I guess it could be said to me, go back to where you came from. I mean, my, my, my people have been in this country for 105 years. That's really not that long of a period of time. Second generation.
And I can't imagine having, well, you, you, because you disagree, you, that, that, that's, and I know this has been going on for a while, but think of how ridiculous this argument is. Because you disagree with the person who is in charge of the country, you hate the country. What kind of logic is that? What? I, I, no. I, and, and I don't know what to say to that other than no. Like, why are we even having this conversation? At what point do we have a debate on whether or not the sky is actually blue? That's what it feels like. And to be living in, in a time where this kind of stuff is happening, it's just, it's, it's, it's just weird. I, I remember some weird political times throughout the course of my 54 years. This is the weirdest. All right. Let's see what else we have here. Ah, PFTPM policy with Zeke appearing to hold out and new contracts for Dak and Amari. The Cowboys are under a lot of pressure to get these resolved. How do they resolve Dak when the low contract year salary plus... I don't know what these... I don't know what these... Don't use abbreviations. If, if you can't fit it all in... Dude, I, I can't make out what you're asking me here. I mean, here's the bottom line. The Cowboys have a mess if Zeke's going to hold out because they've yet to get Dak Prescott signed. They've yet to get Amari Cooper signed. I argued several months ago that Cooper and Dak should come together and they should say, neither of us is going to sign a long-term deal. You're going to have to franchise tag one of us and the other one is going to become a free agent. And you know what? The one who gets franchise tag should do it all again the next year with Zeke because it'll be the same thing. You can't sign both of us. Well, you can. You can't tag both of us. You're going to tag one of us and the other one becomes a free agent. If they would do that, if the agents would get together, now it's three different agents for the three different players, but what ultimately would happen is, think of it this way, if Dak and Amari decide to say, we are not doing this, we're not going to sign a long-term deal, come next February, you're going to tag one of us and the other one is going to become a free agent. Now, assuming that there's not a new CBA, because there could still be a transition tag applied to the other one, but, but that's just a right to match. You still hit the open market. Bottom line is, you can't franchise tag both of them. One of them potentially gets market value and walks away. So the guy who gets tagged does the same thing next year, 2021, with Zeke. At the end of the day, you may only have one of these three guys if they would come together and play it that way. And that's the kind of thing that the players need to do. They're allowed to collude. They're allowed to conspire. They're allowed to come together and come up with a collective plan for how to approach negotiations with a given team or multiple teams. You know, there's a, there's a push to get star running backs on the same page when it comes to trying to get more money for that position. I don't know that it'd be successful, and there's really only, in my mind, three true star running backs right now, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley. And Barkley is two years away from even being in a position where he could ask for a new contract. McCaffrey's one year away from that. But that's the kind of thing that you can do when you are the players. The teams can't do it. The players can. The players can strategize. The players can come up with a common approach. Dak and Amara can come together and say, we're not going to sign long-term contract offers. They're going to only franchise tag one of us. The other one gets to hit the open market. And then you get the agreement with Zeke to do the same thing. That really puts the Cowboys in a tough spot. And more players need to do that. More agents need to do that. Because that is a, you know, you, you can either complain about the current system and the things that make it harder for players to change teams and get paid fair value or you can do something about it you can take advantage of the flaws in the system and that is a weapon 
that the players have, and they should use it. PFTPM Posse, boy, a lot of questions, but you, you, you must you must have missed me, PFTPM Posse. What benefit, if any, is there in Zeke telling people privately that he plans to hold out of training camp but not informing the team or the public? The ridiculous criticism that fans will give him uh, is part of it, and uh, surprising the Cowboys could be the other part. Yeah, I don't think the Cowboys knew anything about this, and I don't know that Elliot even wanted it to get out. I mean, here's the thing. We're all wired to tell somebody a secret, and... You tell somebody something in private, and you assume that it's not going to get out. Maybe that's what happened here. I don't know what Ezekiel Elliott was thinking when he chose to divulge to someone that that's what he's going to do. And I don't know how many people he divulged it to, but it's out there. And that, and and, and again, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to hold out, but that's what he's telling at least one person privately. And I don't know that there was any strategy involved there. You're assuming there was a strategy. What benefit is there in telling people properly? There's none. There's none. No benefit. It just happens sometimes. Tom Marshall, otherwise known as at a red zone out. What, if any, leverage does Melvin Gordon have? I don't see him missing game checks. P.S. Glad you're back. Glad to be back. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, he, he, the only leverage he has is withholding services and forcing the Chargers to make do with another running back, which will be Austin Eckler. This is a position where if you're not a special running back and Melvin Gordon isn't, there isn't much of a drop-off to the next guy. We see that all the time as a result of injury. So unless you, and, and even last year, Le'Veon Bell a special running back and he wasn't there and the Steelers were okay at the running back position with James Conner and then Jalen Samuels when Conner was injured. So I don't know that there is any real leverage here. And I think Melvin Gordon's in danger of overplaying his hand. And this hurts me to say it because I'm a firm believer in guys standing up and getting what's theirs. But you have to do it smartly. You got to have leverage. You got to be a special talent like Ezekiel Elliott to try to pull it off. Elliott's got leverage because Jerry Jones wants a win. Jerry Jones doesn't want to envision going into a regular season without Ezekiel Elliott. You lose that opener at home to the Giants, that could screw up everything. So there's a fundamental difference in talent and circumstance between Elliott and Gordon. I don't think the Chargers are going to get bent out of shape about not having Gordon. And I don't think he's nearly good enough. Number one, I mean, think about this. Oh, demanding a trade. Well, who's going to trade anything of real value for Melvin Gordon? What are you going to give up? Look at what Jordan Howard got in trade from the Eagles. It was peanuts. And I assume that's the best offer the Bears could get. You can find a running back in any round of the draft. You can find a running back undrafted. I've, I've seen this time. You know, look, it's, it's, there's this, it's become trendy to push back against the idea that the supply of running backs outweighs the demand. But that's, that's why the market is what it is. Because the supply of running backs does outweigh the demand. Every major college has a guy who can move the chains at the NFL level. Every, they'll have a guy that can rush for 1,000 yards at the college level. At the next level, the question is, are you getting the blocking? Can you be trusted to hold on to the football? Can you be taught to hold on to the football? And can you be trusted in pass protection in a blitz situation? Those are all learnable skills. The ability to take that pounding, the ability to keep going, game after game, snap after snap, drive after drive, that ability and that willingness 
to get the ball, to hit the hole, to put your head down and go. There's a lot of guys that have that. And that's why only a small handful of guys are going to get paid big money. And I don't think Melvin Gordon is going to get paid big money. PFT PM Posse almost missed the call for questions today. Glad to have you back. While you were gone, we had a mini PFT PM Posse meetup with myself, Tyler Fornis, CJ Newman at my house in the Dallas area. Picture below is proof. I don't know who's who. I think the one on the left is Tyler. I know that with the stick to football t-shirt. Party animal in the middle must be PFT PM Posse. And then CJ Newman on the right. Well, I'm glad you guys got together. Yeah, And, and you know what? Uh, you haven't been, yeah, you, we're, 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 we're kind of past the point where we could have a meetup. Look, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be an ass, more of an ass than I already am. I just, there was no way to make this work. And I just, when I get to the point where I have a break, I just want to take the break. Maybe I should have said, hey, I'm in South Carolina. Anybody wants to come to South Carolina, come to South Carolina. And I do have this lingering fear that if we set something up, there's going to be like two people there. And then it's going to be like an, even more of an embarrassment than I create for myself every day. All right, I should wrap this up. I don't know how long I don't know how long it's been for you. Uh, I guess I could do the math backward. I was I was probably gone for about ten minutes. So anyway, let's see what else we have here. Leapers five hundred of the draft picks and free agent acquisitions in this offseason. Who do you see having gotten really good value? I uh, I you know I, I'm sorry I shouldn't have even taken that question. I I haven't really thought about it much. I'd have to really, because I, I don't want to just blurt out a name and and then, oh, I forgot about this guy, I forgot about that guy. I'd have to sit down and think about it, sorry. I know This is the problem with not reading these ahead of time. I should read them ahead of time, I should screen them ahead of time, I should put some thoughts together ahead of time. Maybe I'll start doing that moving forward. Leapers 500, it seems like the 18-game proposal has been met with mostly disinterest and hostility. Do the owners and the league just push through, or do you think they listen to that? No, I, I think the league wants it. They want it. They're convinced. What are we going to do? Are we going to boycott football if we don't want 18 games? We can express our opinion. What are they going to do? What are the fans going to do? 62% of the 44,000 who responded to the poll question at our Twitter page said they want 16 games. Okay, they're getting 18. What are they going to say? We don't want any. The owners want it. The owners see a way to make a lot of money, and they've wanted it for a long time. They want to take 16 and 4 and turn it to 18 and 2, period. And they've wanted it for a decade, and really rich people tend to get what they want eventually, and I think the NFL eventually will. The question is, will they pay the players what they want, and will the players over overplay their hand? That's the key. Ghost Musician, I still hate regular season overtime, and I especially hate the 18-game schedule idea. I watched... The drive and another Elway game this weekend and noticed very few flags and much better game flow. I hate the extra point at the 15, and I don't even know which way to order Sunday ticket this year. Bigger isn't always better, Roger. I don't necessarily disagree with those concepts. The game has changed over the last 30 years. It it is less brutal than it used to be. I still enjoy it. I still think there's nothing like it, but it has changed. Panthers Austria, back to work. Why doesn't the XFL go after established college players with one year of eligibility left, sign and pay them for two years, and after that they can get drafted at the same time they would have been if they stayed in college? Look, I'm a believer in that. I mean, with Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, if you would get him right after this season, this is his second year after high school, 
You get him right after the college season. You have him play the XFL season this year. You have him play it next year, sign him to a two-year contract, then he goes into the draft. Now, he wouldn't be available for the Dog and Pony show prior to the draft, but you're creating game film. You're in game shape. When these guys show up for the start of the off-season program, they're not in shape because they've been doing underwear Olympics. And they've been traveling from city to city and engaging in these these scaled-down private workouts, which are nothing like practicing or playing football. You're going to have guys who are ready to go. I, I like it, and I think the XFL should do it. Look, I've said this many times. You're going to have to create or attract stars if you want to survive as a spring football league. What the XFL needs to do is identify the players who become stars quickly in college football and get them after one or two years of college football. And then you get them for one or two seasons before they go to the NFL. That's what you need to do. Because you need, look, you let someone else create the star and then you pay the star. That would really disrupt the college football system. Nothing like a true competitor who is coming in and pilfering your talent to get the college football system to fundamentally change. Mike likes dirt. Which NFL player, coach, and owner would you most enjoy going on a beach vacation with? Hmm. Player? What NFL player would I want to go on a beach vacation with? It would have to be somebody who's in worse shape than me, right? Because then I'm more inclined to, you know, take my shirt off and, and enjoy myself in the sun because, uh, you know, I got Vince Wilfork uh, sitting next to me in his bib overalls with nothing on under him. Coach? Coach at the beach? Hmm. I don't know. I like Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer. I'd like to see how Mike Zimmer is when you get him in a situation where there's nothing to be pissed off about. Or Belichick. Get him. I'm going to go Belichick. Final answer, Belichick. Vince Wilfork, Bill Belichick, and owner. It's got to be Jerry Jones because he's bringing the Johnny Walker blue. I almost bought. We went to the, the liquor store the night we got to the beach, and I almost bought a bottle of Johnny Walker blue for the week. I can't. It's $250, but that's all Jerry Jones drinks, and he drinks it in like 24 ounce tumblers. Read Mark Leibovich's book. Big game. Read it last year at this time. Excellent. We had him on the PFTPM podcast a few times. I need to get him back. I wonder if he's doing a follow-up. Mike likes dirt. Did you work out on vacation? Here's what I did. And and I, you know, I need to be one of those bike people. I always worry when I see the, the, the vehicles go by me where they have bikes strapped to the back with some apparatus that is stuck to their vehicle. I always worry one of those bikes is going to fly off. And it's like, why are you worrying about taking your bike down that you can rent bikes? And then I get down there and we rent bikes and I realize, yeah, I'd rather have my own bike. I mean, I've got a bike I haven't ridden in a long time, but I'd rather ride that bike than the, the goofy little uh, uh, Mrs. Gulch uh, you know, with the basket on the front. Although we had we had four that we rented. Two did not have the basket. Two had the basket. But it's the crappy little tourist bike with the, the little license plate on the back that says where you got it from. And, you know, I, I just, I tried to get my heart rate into the 120 to 130 BPM range. So I'd take the bike out and ride. And I think I did that three or four times. Ride for an hour to simulate the one hour bike ride that I do here when I'm home. And then one day I went out and walked. I walked a long way. And then I ran some. I hadn't run in a long time. And, and you know, I can't run more than a couple miles because my knees get all, like, swollen and nasty. I, I ran some, and my knees feel pretty good. So I may have to go out and, 
and uh, try to run again, which of course, eventually I'll push it to the point where my, my knees swell up like cantaloupes and then I won't run again. But I did a little, I did a little, uh, I, you know, you, you build up the, those, uh, those connective tissues. They start to get a little tougher. You get a little callus on them if you get out there and move around more. The, 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 the riding the bike, there's no impact whatsoever. You get out there and hey, I walked and, and hey, I walked about the, the length of a 10 K 6.2 miles. And, and I'd say I ran, I don't know, three quarters of a mile. I don't know, but that's the most I've run in a long time because I'm telling you instantly run. And it's like the, the old cartoon where you, you blow into your thumb and your, and your whole hand blows up. That that's what happens to my knees. Thanks for asking. Dean Osborne, 42, over under on Tom Brady finishing his career with double-digit Super Bowl wins. That's kind of a mixed. It's not over under. It's either Willie or Woney. Double-digit, he's got six. He ain't getting to ten. Is he getting to ten? I don't think he's getting to ten. I'd say the over under is 7.5. Over under is 7.5. Because I think he's got one more. The question is, does he have two more? Dr. J144, if you said the Raiders played great and played hard all 16 games last year, false. Would Derek Carr have you blocked? Shows how fickle that stuff is. I don't know what you mean. But all I know is this. Derek Carr blocked me on Twitter for hardly anything at all. And I had some fun with that video that was going around on Saturday of him playing basketball with his kids, and he like has that big block. And I said that's basically what he does to the Twitter account of someone who mildly criticizes him and I just I think you got to show a thicker skin if you're a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has never blocked me. If any quarterback was going to block me, it's him. Maybe he's not as maybe maybe Derek Carr is the one who is so sensitive he's sensitive about being called sensitive. Sando Shuffle, what other sports radio shows do did you listen to? Ghost Musician responds by saying he doesn't basically. And you know what? I'm at the point now where I just don't. I don't. And, and I should. Every once in a while, I'll listen to Pardon My Take, but sorry, guys, I don't listen to it regularly. I'm not an AWL. I just, I, I, I need to get away from it. When you're creating content all the time, you don't want to be a consumer of content. You just need to get away from it. And I don't want to ever be accused of stealing someone else's ideas. I, I say what I think. And you know what? A lot of this stuff isn't nuclear science. People do come up with the same idea independent of each other. And I, I don't, I don't listen. And if I do accidentally hear something that someone else had to say that I like, then I'll give them credit for it. I mean, who cares? Who cares if it was someone else's idea? If you think it's good enough to talk about and you think it has meat and you think it makes for good radio podcast fodder, then so be it. Tyler Finesse, good to have you back. What was the best thing you ate in South Carolina? I, I had uh, Thursday night. We had a shrimp that was stuffed with crab meat, wrapped in bacon, and fried. That was pretty damn good. And and I always go for the stuff that I know I can't get at home. Like, I only got steak one night just because I was in the mood for steak, and it was actually a pretty good steak, but I was kind of disappointed in myself because I want to get something that I know, you know, you're not going to find on a menu around here. Shrimp and grits is big in South Carolina, so I, I had that one night. Um... God, it all kind of blends together. Let me tell you, there's a great pizza place on Sullivan's Island, which is just south of Isle of Palms. Excellent pizza place. The, I think it's either the 450 or the 750 pizza joint. Huge, like New York style, big pieces, folds up real nice. 
uh, excellent. That was the night. That was the last night we were there. And that was a night where it's like, you know, I behaved myself for the most part this week with the food. I went uh, a little over the top with the pizza. It was really, really good. Tyler Finesse, how do you think the NFL is justifying suspending Richie Incognito for two games for threatening to kill somebody when players are getting more games for less? Here's what I think is going on. I think that the Richie Incognito two-game suspension, I've been meaning to write about this. I think that's the latest proof that the NFL is getting away from this, this habit of dropping the hammer on guys who haven't been arrested or charged or, you know, in the case of... Richie Incognito, he actually pleaded guilty to a couple of misdemeanors. But I feel like the NFL is softening its approach to these players, especially when there isn't a clear victim, right? Who were the who were the victims with Richie Incognito? And, and they could have hammered Incognito for all the stuff he's done in the past that he never got punished for. You throw these two things on top of it. He he, you know, he it was at his grandmother's house and he. He like slammed his fist into the wall or did something there, busted a, the, the, the security system panel. Uh, and then he had the incident at the funeral home. And I know he was operating under the stress and strain of, of the passing of his father. But, you know, we, we, look, I've been there. I didn't, I mean, I, look, I, and I know there's a fine line between the things we're responsible for and real mental health issues. But I just feel like the NFL is looking for ways to ensure that the best players are able to play. I think the ratings drop in 2017 scared the NFL away from this approach where it is drop the hammer whenever we can, on whoever we can, however we can. They recognize there's value in working with players to make them available to play. And I think this incognito thing is the latest piece of evidence. And the ultimate piece of evidence for this offseason is going to be what they do with Tyreek Hill. All right, what else do we have? I should, I need to wrap this up. I'm sorry. Sean Alvishower, if you were the head of the NFLPA, what would be the three things you would want for the players in the new CBA? Number one, I want more money. You always want more. Whatever it is, I want more. I want a better and bigger cut of the pie. Number two, if they want 18 games, I really want more. So, hey, you want to expand the regular season? That's fine. Give me more. I mean, money is the ultimate term. More money for the players. And finally, I would want to increase the spending floor. Right now, 89 cents out of every cap dollar must be spent on a four-year rolling average. That means, on average, a team can take 11 cents on the dollar of whatever the salary cap is and cram it into their coffers and call it profit. That's unacceptable. Needs to be higher needs to be 95 at a minimum. Right now, it's 89% on a four-year average per team, 95% on a four-year average for the entire league. They need to move it to 95% per team and 100% across the board. It all needs to be spent. And anything under that, the money gets kicked in, however they do it and distribute it. But all of the cap dollars need to be spent. Sean Alvashar, how are you reading the NFL leaking about getting the CBA done before the start of the 2019 season and the 18-game schedule? Sorry, I had to cough. Um, they didn't leak the desire to get the CBA done. The commissioners acknowledged it. The 18-game season is there. I'm, I'm not reading it any way at all, other than, as I said earlier, it's two opportunities for the players 
to squeeze. There's leverage there. You want a deal done by week one? All right. It's going to cost you. You want 18 games? It's really going to cost you. The question is, will the players overplay their hand? Thomas Berry, how can Madden justify giving Trubisky the lowest quarterback rating? Well, 75 is not the lowest. Eli Manning was lower. I just think 75 is ridiculously low. And I know people, oh, who cares? Well, a lot of people play the Madden game. And they tout it as being realistic. We're in a golden age of quarterbacking. And they've, like, graded these quarterbacks on a curve. There's none that are 99. Patrick Mahomes is 97. Aaron Rodgers is 90. We have the article that has the link to all of the numbers. And, and I feel like they felt compelled to spread these guys out. But what if they're all clustered in the 90s? Which is what I think they are. I think there should be 20 guys. 15 guys in the 90s instead of 7. And I, you know, 15 guys between 85 and 90. There's a lot of great quarterbacks right now in the NFL. There aren't enough backups to go around. And there are a few teams that have questionable starters. But for the most part, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Sean Marsh, when do you guys go back on to NBCSN? Two weeks from today, July 29. Can't wait. Brian, Brian Ashback Law. Seems that players love Russell Wilson, but fans of other teams seem to think he's incredibly overrated. Why the dichotomy? I I, I don't I don't know why. I'm, I mean, I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I think he's great. I, I, I just think that if you're not throwing for 4,500 plus yards, if you're not throwing for 45 touchdowns or 35 or what, you know, a high number, if you're not generating a ton of stats, if your team has that identity of a running team and he's short, I I don't, I feel like that Russell Wilson's never gotten the credit for the success that the Seahawks have had while he's been on the team. I mean, look, they're paying him 35 million a year in new money. He's the highest paid player in the history of the game. So the Seahawks know what value they have in Russell Wilson. That's all that matters. And, you know, when, when things go poorly, you can blame him. When things go well, they, they, they don't. That, he's the one guy that seems to be exempt from that cliche. That the quarterback gets the blame when things go poorly and the credit when things go well. Wilson gets the blame when things go poorly and he doesn't get the credit when things go well. And he, he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. You can call me Dick. How should the league determine the two new opponents in an 18-game season? Well, let's assume there will be an 18-game season. We'll end it on this. If there is an 18-game season, right, the structure of the schedule right now works. Right now, what you do is you play all the teams in your division twice. You play all of the teams from one of the other divisions in your conference You play all of the teams from one of the divisions in the other conference, and you play of the other two divisions in your conference where you don't already play all four teams, you play the team that finished in the same spot you did. So if you finished in first in the NFC North, and you're playing all the teams in the NFC West, you face the first place team from the NFC South and the first place team from the NFC East. And on the way, that's the, there's only two games right now that are different based upon how you finish. You know, it used to be, and we used to hear about the fifth place schedule. It used to be advantageous to be a bad team. You got an easier schedule the next year. It's really not that much easier this year. And, and I mean, for the two games where you're playing teams who finished in fourth place in other divisions, remember that in your own division, 
you're playing a team that won it twice, and that team is playing you a fourth-place team twice. So it does all kind of even out. So you throw two extra games into it. What would you do? Where do those two extra games come from? That's a hell of a question. Do you play the other two first-place teams a second time? Maybe that's what you do. I think that's the easiest way to do it, and that creates more of an advantage for the team that finishes in fourth place and more of a disadvantage for the team that finishes in first place. So here's how it would go. Let, let, let's, let's pull up the... Uh, let's, just, let's pull up the Patriots schedule. The Patriots this year play... Bear with me. They play all of the teams from the AFC North and they play all of the teams for the NFC East, which means they play the first place team from the AFC South, the Texans, and the first place team from the AFC West, the Chiefs. I actually play them back-to-back weeks, weeks 13 and 14. You throw in two extra games, okay, they're at Houston, and they host the Chiefs. The easy solution, the Patriots would also play the Texans at home, and they'd play the Chiefs in Kansas City. So you have two games. You Your reward for winning the division is the next year you play the other two division winners that you ordinarily would play once, you play them twice. That's the easy solution. Or, or uh, but then, then there's another division winner you only play, you only play once because you play all the other teams in that division. But that's the easy way to do it. Or, or how about this? You do a rotation where you play the first place team well, okay. How about this? We're, uh, the way it's already structured, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this through on the fly, obviously, as you can tell by the quality of the delivery. Right now, there's 12 games that you play in your own conference, and you play four in the other conference. You should go 12 and 6. Do those two extra games come from the other conference? Do you play division champions from two of the other divisions? You're already playing all the teams in one division. There's three other divisions. Is there like a rotation there where the AFC champion, let's say the AFC, the Patriots, AFC East champions, are playing all the teams from the, what division was it again? The NFC East, yes. So playing all the teams from the NFC East. They would play the first place team from the NFC North, the first, first place team from the NFC South. And then the next year they play all the teams from the NFC South, play the first place team from the NFC North, the first place team from the NFC West, something like that where there's, a, there's like a flow to it, there's a rotation to it. I kind of like that better than playing teams twice. I'd rather have teams play because it's still first. You're playing a first place team, but I like the idea of variety. So the Patriots this year, instead of the example I previously gave, I'm going to revise that. Instead of playing the Texans twice and the, and the Chiefs twice, what they would do is they would play the Bears and they would play the Saints. I kind of like that. Or the Rams. It depends on the rotation. And then the last place team in the division would play the fourth place team from those same two divisions. That's how the rotation would go. And the only glitch would be there would be one team, one, one first place team. And you would, basically, you would play during the course of the year six of the seven other division winners if you win the division. You would play the other three in your conference, and you would play three in the other conference every year. 
I think that makes sense. And we go to 19 games, you can play all of them. No, 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 I don't want 19 games. That, that's, my, that's my suggestion. It took me about 10 minutes to get there, but I finally got there. So the answer is, on a rotating basis, you would be playing two other division winners from the other conference in addition to the division winner that you play when you play every team from that division. I probably could have articulated that a little bit more artfully, but hey, I've been going over an hour. It's been more than a week since I've done this. I got to get my sea legs back. That's why I like doing this because it keeps me in that flow where, you know, you're used to talking extemporaneously and based upon my overall performance today, I need to knock off the rust. We'll knock off some more rust tomorrow. Thanks as always for joining the audience of the PFTPM podcast. We will have content all day long at profootballtalk.com as we always do. And uh, PFTOT coming tomorrow morning, plus some other videos. Our countdown continues of the top 20, or top 30 rather, storylines. We're down to the last eight. And again, another edition of PFTPM coming tomorrow. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.